and welcome to Sexy Mofo, an ex-Mormon podcast dedicated to deconstructing Mormonism, overcoming repression, and healing from religious trauma. I'm your host, Ella Bolin, blogger, poet, and former garment-wearing, church-school-attending Relief Society president. Sexy Mofo is a place to share my personal stories, interviews with others who have been harmed by the Mormon Church, and deep dive discussions on gospel topics with an emphasis on exposing the Church's secret combinations. I was a devout member of the Mormon Church for over a decade before learning firsthand just how hypocritical the priesthood can be. My now ex-husband was arrested for a shocking sex scandal that caught national attention and two other sex scandals shook our small Midwestern ward that same year. Once I saw them, I could not deny the systemic harms of the church, and so I left. Now, I believe that being an active member in the Mormon church contributes significantly to identity loss, personal hypocrisy, and religious trauma. One of the church's most potent forms of control? Sexual repression, which ultimately breeds sexual harm in an organization known for protecting abusers. As they taught me, by their fruits, ye shall know them. And eventually, I did. It's been eight years since my Mormon ex-husband's sex scandal shook up my world and ultimately led to me leaving the Mormon church. I wrote about the experience on my blog at the time. Um, My blog is called Living in Retrospect, for those of you who aren't familiar with it. And at the time that everything went down, I was actually finally experiencing some success with my blog. I had just had a month where I had reached 100,000 page views in one month and I was earning a full-time income, Um, only had for a few months at that point, but I'd built it up pretty steadily, and everything was going really well. We actually uh, were in the middle of a fertility treatment. Um, Actually, if things had happened probably a week or two later, it's very likely that I would have been pregnant because... um, I I had ovulated <laughs> from the pills that I took, and that was the only thing that I really needed um, that was holding us back from this miraculous Mormon baby. So um, I'm very grateful that that did not happen. And we had also just closed on our dream house, and it was a fixer-upper that we'd paid for with cash. Um, and... It needed a lot, a lot of work, but we had fallen in love with it. I had definitely fallen in love with it, had massive dreams and plans for how we were going to fix it up and how I was going to document the process on the blog and really take living in retrospect to the next level. And here I was, Mormon, had been married for four years, Uh, about to realize the ultimate and really only dream you're allowed to have as a a Mormon woman, which is pregnancy, and also had this side thing that I had built, um, you know, as I was struggling with fertility, 
um, that was also taking off and that I would still be able to do because it kind of fit within the confines of what was allowable and acceptable um, for me to do as a Mormon woman who would be staying at home with my kids, but also was writing. And so things were going really well, or I thought they were. Our marriage was mediocre. Um, I thought we were happy, but everything was very surface level. And I guess ultimately that's why I would have to say that his sex scandal saved me because it, it didn't just save me. Um, it didn't just save me from a mediocre of convenience because of cultural programming marriage, but ultimately it allowed me, forced me to confront the hypocrisies and really damaging doctrines of the Mormon church head on in a way that I could not deny the harms any longer. And they were right there. It was so clear and it was absolutely undeniable. And so I had to leave. So ultimately his sex scandal really did save me from a life of mediocrity. And I guess one of the questions that you might be wondering is why I married him anyway, right? I mean, the truth is that my marriage didn't really seem toxic until it exploded. Um, I didn't have any, like I had no idea that he was doing these creepy things um, before we were married, even likely, I mean, it seems pretty obvious, likely while we were married, um, if he hadn't been arrested that night, uh, he, he would have crawled into bed with me when he came home. Um, he would have told me that he was coming home late because he had had to work late. He would have lied to me and I would have believed him because I was a good Mormon wife and Anytime I had any doubts about him, I repressed them. And I, I told myself that I was overreacting and that I shouldn't have doubts. Uh, you know, I, I did find out after <laughs> the sex scandal came out, which just to recap, um, or we'll get into it in a second. But, um, you know, I also found out that he had been smoking cannabis, which now I don't care at all. But at the time, it really would have bothered me. And... I can't tell you the number of times that I just knew that I smelled it, confronted him, and he directly lied to me about it. And ultimately, I never could pinpoint a specific instance where he lied to me about stalking women, about going out and doing things. I don't know when anything happened. Um, I don't know what exactly happened beyond what allegedly happened the night he was arrested. And frankly, I'm not interested in hearing his side of the story at this point. <laughs> um, but I do know that he lied to me many times about the cannabis. And I, that 
that he didn't just lie to me. He made me feel crazy for doubting him. You know, the definition of gaslighting. And I believe that I was more susceptible to that gaslighting because I, he was the priesthood holder in my home, right? And so even though in reality, I was more intelligent than he was, more capable of leading a home than he was. I looked to him as the end-all be-all, and I trusted him and believed him. And, and I think ultimately I believed that if he was doing something wrong, that the authority within the church would know and would hold him accountable. You know, I mean, if you believe in authority in the church, you believe in authority in the church, right? Um, so our marriage was, was pretty mediocre, and ultimately it was this sex scandal that, that kind of helped me to leave and helped me to escape the Mormon church as well, which is how I really feel it saved me. Um, but just let's talk about what actually happened, right? So uh, here we are living this, I mean, I guess the Mormon dream, right? And he's supposed to come home (laughs) that night and I wait and I wait and I wait and it's hours after when he should be home from work and he's supposed to uh, come and meet me after work we're gonna go by the house we're actually living with my mom and stepdad at the time in my childhood bedroom because um, you know (laughs) we were saving up money and and moving into this house we had just bought and he was supposed to come home. We were going to go bug bomb this new old house. It was one of the first things we'd be doing together. Um, we had just closed on it a few days previous. And instead, hours go by, he doesn't come home. And I'm just... At first, I'm, I'm watching Netflix and trying to just convince myself that everything's fine. Um, I remember thinking... Well, he must he must be working later than he planned. I he had already texted me and told me he'd be working late. Um, but I mean this was even late <laughs> for a late night. So, but I I just talked myself down as I did other times in our marriage when you know, he would be taking a long time at the gym or He would be taking a long time going to the grocery store or just taking a long time doing everything because that was what he did. (laughs) And was it because he was smoking a joint in the car or was it because he was stalking some lady down the street? I'll never know. But I know there were a lot of times when he was late and taking longer than he should have. Um, And... And that over our marriage, I eventually was gaslit into believing I was being crazy for even wondering. And I I really do think most of it was that he was smoking weed because I did smell it a lot. Um, but now, I, how do I know? I can't. There is no way to know. And that's a scary thing. Um, but at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I believe it was two o'clock, around 2 o'clock in the morning... I had, I had managed to like barely fall asleep, half fall asleep. 
just enough that the the phone ringing startled me and I picked up my phone and there was a a police officer on the other end of the line and I he he identified himself where he was from which was actually I mean like 45 minutes away not uh I mean in the opposite direction of my ex-husband's place of employment by about 15 or 20 minutes and so I mean I had I had no idea you know why this police officer would be contacting me and I immediately just assumed that uh, my my ex-husband must have been dead he must have been in a car accident and he must he must be dead (laughs) Um, because he sounded very very Uh, I could tell it wasn't a good call. I could tell this was not good. Um, And so I just assumed that he must be dead. And so imagine my surprise as I lay there in my garments (laughs) in my marital bed, which is also in my childhood bedroom. And (laughs) this police officer asks me if I'm aware of my husband having a panty fetish. I, I don't even, (laughs) I don't even think I processed what he had asked for a couple of days because it just was so absurd and it did not fit within the schema that I had for my life for my husband there I knew there had to be some misunderstanding there had to be some some crazy thing that had happened um I knew that I just had to talk to him and and I'd be able to figure everything out and and I even told the police officer that I was like can I talk to him like this doesn't make sense and you know they're so good at doing their job. <laughs> um, you know, they wanted to, to get things out of me, which I didn't have anything to even give them. Um, but he, uh, there were a lot of things that were traumatic about that night, but I do remember the, the police officer mentioning that, uh, she was a young, thin, um, a young, thin, pretty coworker. Um, that, that they had found who had come home. She had come home and it was very late at night and she had come home to what was supposed to be an empty home and she had seen a light moving around inside and um, called the police and the, when, which the police were very close. This was only a couple of blocks from the police station a police department and they came to investigate and I'll say allegedly because I don't know <laughs> I don't you know allegedly <laughs> that's what's that's what was in all of the the uh newspaper articles across the country um allegedly they found him in the basement with her undergarments around him and um then when they searched the vehicle they found a duffel bag that contained 
other things that were labeled in baggies. Um, and I mean, it was like, there were baggies that apparently had hair in them and baggies that had panties. And, um, I mean, just all kinds of things. And, um, which I did not know this the night that I went to see him and I don't even remember much about going to see him. I I remember being interrogated by the police before they let me talk to him. I remember how broken he looked. Um, and I remember asking him what had happened and just, and, you know, telling him we'd get through it because I knew there had to be some, some explanation, some, I had to be missing something. Um, I mean, but you have to understand that first night, I I really, not only was it absurd and just did not fit within my realm of reality, but it also, I mean, I didn't know much. All I knew was that, was that he had been arrested at her house. They asked me if I knew anything about a panty fetish. And, um, I didn't know where he'd been found in the house. I didn't know, you know, what they'd found around him. I didn't know that they'd searched the car. I didn't know a lot of things that night. Um, and so in my mind, kind of the working theory I had for the the next few days or until it hit the, the media, um, was I, I thought, well, maybe he had an affair and there was like a video of it and he was like breaking into her house and he was trying to like get back like this video that they'd made of it or something. And so he was really trying to save our marriage. (laughs) This is the, this is how crazy, this is how crazy the Mormon church makes you because how could a good righteous Mormon husband, how could your priesthood holder, how could, how could this happen? We were sealed in the temple. We did the right things. I did the right things. I prayed about it. And that was what it ultimately came, came back to was I had prayed about it. And so how could the prompting that, yes, this is right, be wrong. And we'll talk about that in a future episode, but I mean, ultimately, I, I very strongly believe now that that the the doctrine that all those good feelings all come from God um, is a, a very dangerous teaching, and the idea that every feeling of peace is a, a positive answer from God that you should do something is dangerous and is a large part of why I married my ex-husband. Um, I was far from home. I didn't know anybody at a church school except for him and a couple of other people who I saw very rarely. I had had very little human touch, no hugs, uh, which I was used to just having hugs all the time. And, you know, he, when he proposed, I really did not know. I told him, I don't know. I don't know about this. And I spent the whole night praying and wrestling in the spirit, etc., etc. And after no sleep, and the next day he came over and he held me, and I felt peace. The feel-good chemical when someone holds you, that your body naturally releases anytime anyone holds you. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's a weighted blanket. It could have been a weighted blanket, but it wasn't. 
It was him. And so I married him. I said yes to him. I settled for him. My marriage didn't seem toxic until it exploded. But the truth is that even before it began, I knew I was making a choice that was at odds with what I wanted. I'd always been an intellectual and an old soul. And our conversations just lacked substance. So did our relationship. Actually, I still remember, uh, I still remember the day it was after we'd gotten engaged, we'd announced it. And one of our leader's wives, um, who we both really respected, pulled me aside. And she asked me far more candidly than made me comfortable whether I was sure I wanted to marry him. I remember she told me, you deserve to be equally yoked. And even then, mired in the depths of the Mormon church's control, part of me recognized that she was right. But I was aging out of Zion, and I was overwhelmed by the most important commandments, the fulfillment of which I believed to be my only purpose, to marry and to procreate. The men my age were increasingly already married, and time at a church school had painfully highlighted just how difficult it would be to find an active Mormon husband. The church that had provided so much comfort and security became a source of anxiety as this pressure mounted. And so trusting the Mormon doctrine that it didn't really matter who I married so long as they were an active Mormon, I settled. And that's really important because... It is Mormon doctrine that it doesn't really matter who you marry as long as they are a good, active Mormon and you can get married in the temple. If you do that, as long as you make God the center of your marriage, everything will work out. Work out. <laughs> um, another episode we'll be going into later, but uh, suffice, suffice it to say that I don't believe that <laughs> at all. And that's a highly dangerous doctrine as well. So without the church, we never would have ended up together. What I found in him was just enough love and security to be comfortable. And even though I knew at my core I was unhappy and unfulfilled, that comfort made me deny my discontent, propelling me further and further into our relationship until it was forever. We never had the deep, meaningful conversations or connection I longed for, And the truth is, I just assumed him incapable of having them. How sad is that? I actually chalked it up to one of the challenges I must have signed up for in the pre-existence. And now, I don't even know if he was actually incapable or if he was just hiding his true depths, which is a much scarier alternative. See, we weren't disconnected, but we weren't really in love either. We were fulfilling our obligations to God, the church, and each other, or at least we were trying and pretending to various degrees. And then seven months into our marriage, my beloved grandmother died. She was the inspiration for all of my faith, and yet Mormon doctrine said she needed me to do work in the temple for her salvation. Maybe the other way around, but if anyone is going straight to heaven, it's my grandma. Suddenly, I was forced to confront my beliefs for real. I could no longer hide behind the fluff of a false testimony, and my own lack of depth haunted me. On some level, I knew that I had been deceived and that the church wasn't true as I finished my degree at BYUI. But fear of losing my degree progress, my marriage, and my community kept those feelings deep in my subconscious. It's amazing how good I became at lying to myself. I told myself I was happy, 
I told myself I loved him. I told myself I believed. I told myself I could change the church from the inside, even though the very idea that it needs changing shatters its premise of being the one true church in the first place. In slow degrees, my own growing faith diverged from the church's teachings, and yet it denied these core beliefs in order to conform. I pretended I still believed in the temple and the gospel according to Joseph Smith, but I was working as hard to convince myself as I was to keep up appearances that I had no doubts. So why didn't I just leave the church before his sex scandal? Because the church was my whole life. Maybe you can relate. If you're listening to this, maybe you've been there. My identity was Mormon wife. My purpose and goal, Mormon mother. It was more comfortable to let my brain be washed my personality divided, and my true self banished from my soul than to admit the growing pit in my stomach begging me to wake up. I'd like to think that eventually I would have woken up, but oh, the pain and anguish it would have been to do so after having his children. And sometimes I have to remind myself just how close I was to bearing his children into that toxic culture. We were in the midst of early stage fertility treatments and the only problem was that we needed to get my body to actually release an egg. I remember bearing testimony that I knew God had a reason for why I hadn't been able to have a baby. Now, I understand that that was the truest testimony I ever bore. I know my own weaknesses well enough to know that if I had indoctrinated my own children, the guilt and social and familial repercussions of leaving the church would have been too much for me to bear. As much as I hate to admit it, I was just broken and comfortable enough that I probably would have accepted a life of mediocrity and control in the church forever, rather than risk everything in leaving. But my Mormon ex-husband's sex scandal made me uncomfortable enough to grow. I was three days from what ended up being successful medically induced ovulation when I got the late night call from the police that changed everything. He was supposed to come home after work for us to go bug bomb the fixer upper we had just closed on. Instead, he shattered our lives and our home. His betrayal destroyed every bit of comfort and security I had. And then all that was left to do was grow. It probably won't surprise you that I didn't realize my Mormon ex-husband's sex scandal was a blessing at the time. I was catatonic in my grief and mortified when it hit the news. If you'd asked me then, I was pretty certain it was the worst thing that would ever happen to me. The pain of his betrayal hurt like he had died. And in some ways, in my mind, he had. I actually remember wishing he had died in an accident, like I had originally thought when that officer called. I also remember hating myself for the intrusive thoughts, but I couldn't help going back to the idea that at least then our love and life, shallow as they were, wouldn't have been tainted. I remember feeling like everything around me had crumbled away. I wondered what could possibly be left in this new world where he wasn't what he'd seemed. It wasn't just losing him that led to my existential crisis. A much larger question loomed over my soul. Without him, what was left to tie me to the church I now doubted? Nothing. In less than a year, I had made my way out of the church, and it would have happened sooner, but I had an initial renewal of Mormon zealotry in the face of hardship. It was really just another attempt to find comfort in the chaos of life, but ultimately, there was little comfort left for me in the church. 
The experiences I had through my Mormon ex-husband's sex scandal only reinforced my growing understanding that the church was created by men to control people and that its toxic doctrines and systematic closed culture lead to harm. Once he unburdened me from him, the church had no hold on me. With the comfort gone and my discontent magnified, I was finally able to continue my personal progression. Sometimes I wonder if I ever would have left the church without his betrayal. I look at the alternate timeline of my life and shudder because I know just how close it came to being my reality. Trauma's impacts on the body, mind, and spirit are pervasive, and I'd never say that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. What doesn't kill you hardens you. It breaks you. It makes you sick from the inside out. I definitely carry trauma from this experience, and working through that trauma's aftermath has been a great challenge. I would still say that his scandal and arrest and my resulting divorce and exodus from the church were some of the most challenging things I've experienced in my life. I hate that he victimized women. His stalking since getting out of prison has made me a victim as well. But all of the trauma caused by his actions can never erase the fact that my Mormon ex-husband's sex scandal saved me from an empty marriage, from having his baby, and from the grips of the Mormon church. So there you have it. That's the story of my ex-husband's sex scandal and how it helped me leave the Mormon church. Like I said, it's been eight years since all of that transpired. I had been an active member of the church for a little bit over a decade at the time, and it really did take me at least five years of being out of the church to really start finding myself again. And I don't think it can be overstated how difficult that transition out of the church is. I, I understand why so many people stay in the church, even though they have such significant doubts. I stayed in the church even though I had significant doubts. And the longer that I have been out, the more I am able to recognize the systemic and intentional doctrines, practices, that scaffold a culture where you are not allowed to think for yourself and where you are encouraged to sacrifice your entire identity in order to belong. It is, it is treacherous rebuilding your identity and your life after leaving and especially if your family is in the church and even if they are not because the church becomes your family um it is it's a great loss to leave and the hardest part is that you've outsourced the nexus of your identity you don't identify as an individual. You identify 
<clears throat> as a member of the church. Used to be, I'm a Mormon. Um, now I guess, now I guess that's not a thing anymore. Um, but you know, that, that was my primary identity, Mormon, not Ella, not me, but Mormon. I was, I was a daughter of God (laughs) and that was, that was my primary focus. That was how I perceived myself. And when you lose your affiliation with the church, when you lose your desire to affiliate with the church, when the church becomes this grotesque figure in your eyes, when you finally see it for what it is, you have to strip everything away and you have to rebuild from the ground up and it takes time and so please be patient with yourself if you are going through that transition please be patient with your friends and loved ones if they are going through that transition if it's taking them longer some people struggle with it more than others and i i would imagine that there is a strong correlation between how long you were in the church and how deeply invested emotionally you were in the church and how difficult it is to to untangle yourself from the church's claws um, from the church's negative doctrines that really do corrode at your sense of self-worth and your personal identity and your ability to make good and rational decisions. You know, <laughs> I mentioned several things throughout this, this episode that I intend to discuss in future episodes. And one of the big ones is how the beliefs about continuing revelation and promptings from the spirit the nuanced teachings about that, how they really do corrode your ability to make good and sound decisions. And the longer that I have been out of the church, the easier it has been to see how systematic those teachings are. And that is why I feel I have to speak now that I am finally to a place where I can, where I am healed, I, I feel compelled to speak. There was a time when I stood before congregations of people and I bore witness falsely. I didn't know I was lying. I didn't realize I was lying, but I was lying. I didn't know those things were true. I didn't. 
I hoped they were true. I wanted to believe they were true. I was deluded into believing they were true, but I did not know they were true. And now I know they are not true. And I... I am creating this podcast so that I can help other people who are trying to deconstruct Mormonism and heal from religious trauma and overcome repression. Those are all big things. And I also am wanting to have some hard conversations and call some things out that need to be called out that I just can't sit on any longer that I feel I have to speak and the truth is that when everything happened with my ex I lost my voice I, as I mentioned, I had just had a month where I had 100,000 page views. In one month, 100,000 views on my little blog, my little corner of of the internet. And um, everything, everything was going so well with my writing and I'd finally reached a place where I felt like even though there wasn't depth yet to what I was speaking and writing that I was on the right track I did have my voice but I didn't know what what to say I was just kind of speaking nonsense into the void And it makes sense because there was no depth to me at the time. So how could I speak truth when I was coming from a a place of, of falsehoods and lack of substance? But still, um, I had a platform and people were listening and I had a routine of writing and sharing my, my words and my thoughts and my feelings shallow as they may have been at times (laughs) and when everything happened it was so traumatic it was it was so traumatic that I really went inward and I it took me so long to process I just could not write. I could not speak because I could not make sense of it. I didn't know what to say. And I, the very few blogs that I wrote over the past uh, eight years, several of them start with me talking about how difficult it has been since then to, to speak or had been since then to speak and to write. And how I just didn't feel like I was there yet. And finally, finally, I feel that I am there and that the things that I need to speak have coalesced in my mind and in my heart and in my soul. 
my wicked ex-Mormon soul. And, um, and that I'm ready. I'm ready to speak. I'm ready to speak my truth and to tell my story. And not just to tell my story, but to use the platform that I do have and the platform that I hope to grow to give voice to other stories because I know that there are so many people in the church and out of the church who have been harmed by members of the church. And I know that the church, well, this is starting to sound a bit like a testimony, isn't it? Um, I know that the church is very good at silencing things, at hiding things, at covering things up. The number of times that I have heard victims either personally telling me or um, sharing stories in, you know, ex-Mormon forums of, of significant abuse occurring, being confessed and never being reported and then continuing is is so very concerning it is so very concerning and i just i know that we have to have a conversation about it i know that we need a place to talk about it i know that we need to be able to discuss it so that we can heal we've got to shine light into that darkness and Frankly, we have to add our voices to those that cry from the dust. Well, that concludes this episode of Sexy Mofo, an ex-Mormon podcast dedicated to deconstructing Mormonism, overcoming repression, and healing from religious trauma. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. As a reminder, I'm Ella Bolin, and you can find my blog, Living in Retrospect, my social media accounts, and other links in the show notes. I'd love to connect with other ex-Mormons and post-Mormons and I guess just anyone who's even generally curious about the absurd things that we have lived through. Sexy Mofo is a new podcast and there are a lot of things you can do to help get the word out there. So if you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll take the time to consider sharing the episode or the podcast on social media. If you have ex-Mormon friends or any ex-Mormon groups that you are a part of. Also, It would be so helpful if you left a review. This is a new podcast and there's a million other podcasts out there. It can be really overwhelming for people to figure out what they should listen to, whether it's worth adding something to a list to listen to later. 
So taking the time to leave a review if you enjoyed this episode is incredibly helpful to help people know what they can expect when they land on the Sexy Mofo podcast. Obviously, Sexy Mofo is a place for me to share my own personal story, but this isn't about me. If you've been hurt by the Mormon church, you're not alone. Just the process of leaving the church is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so please be patient with yourself. If you are transitioning out of the church, if you're deconstructing Mormonism, if you're healing from religious trauma, just please be patient with yourself. Get therapy if you need it. Surround yourself with others who've been through the journey and know that with time and and patience, things can get better. You can rediscover yourself. You can heal from the literal brainwashing that you have been through. It's hard no matter what. Um, even even for just an, a random person transitioning out of the church, it is difficult. But as we've discussed in this this podcast, abuse is rampant in the church. And if you have been hurt in that way by a member of the church, or if you have experienced, um, you know, it, abuse or harm, at the hands of a leader or a family member who was a member of the church or even just a random person who was, or even if you just experienced abuse and did not receive the support that you needed when you, con- when you told your leaders or your family about it, the pain and trauma of that is very, very difficult to overcome. Please make sure that you are resourcing yourself with the things that you need, with the support that you need to help you get through the difficult things you've been through that were not your fault. If you are in a place in your healing journey where you feel that it would be helpful, beneficial to you to share your story, then that is what this is here for. I hope that you will consider reaching out. Um, You know, you can find me on my social media. You can connect with me that way. I have also included a link in the show notes, um, at least if you're on Spotify. Um, I'm not sure if it shows up everywhere else, but at least if you're on Spotify, you can actually call in and leave a voicemail for or a voice memo um, for the podcast, for the Sexy Mofo podcast. And if you feel like doing that, if you have a story that you think fits the, the theme of this podcast and that you feel like sharing, I would be honored for you to, to do that and to give you a place to speak obviously anything that is submitted, um, will be, will have to go through, um, you know, a process and, and I, I can't guarantee that everything that is submitted will be published, but I do encourage you to, to consider that a place that you can use if you have a story that you feel needs to be shared. I am, I'm intending to incorporate those messages in future episodes and look forward to creating a place where all voices can be shared um, because there's a lot that needs to be said and 
I look forward to making Sexy Mofo a place where people can safely speak about their experiences and help one another deconstruct Mormonism, overcome repression, and heal from religious trauma. By their fruits ye shall know them. And so we did. Be well.